Good morning, friends. My name is Rob. I'm a pastor here. We are glad that you are with us. It is July 17th. It means summer swim is almost over. It means school is still pretty far away, kids. All right, you still got some time to enjoy the summer. Um, it also means that we are about six weeks into our summer on uh, our sermon series on Proverbs. I know that we have some new friends here with us this morning. I know we have some old friends and family that are visiting with, with us this morning. So just to orient ourselves to Proverbs. Remember, I said at the beginning of the series, Proverbs stands like a signpost at the beginning of life, giving us direction on uh, the fact that we need wisdom. And Proverbs also gives us that wisdom that we need. You might remember I spoke uh, in the first sermon on um, one of my bucket list hikes that I wanted to go on, the 100-mile wilderness up in Maine. And I said that there's this uh, sign at the trailhead that says, hey, don't go on this hike unless you have what you need, all right? Unless you have 10 days supplies, you better not even attempt this hike. So the, the, it's really clear you need to make good plans. But the thing is, um, sometimes plans aren't enough, right? Like if you're going to make that hike in October, there could be a surprise snowstorm, all right? You're not going to get through that. You're going to make that hike maybe early in spring. There could be some storms, some rains that just flood the rivers. You're not going to be able to pass them. Um, maybe like me, you made a plan to hike the 100-mile wilderness when you graduated with college or when you graduated from college with your friend Alan and you got injured like three weeks before the hike. You couldn't make it, all right? So you had to make a backup plan. You just ate lobster in Bar Harbor for a week. It was a, you know, wasn't a bad, bad deal. Um, sometimes plans, uh, as helpful and really necessary as they are, sometimes plans aren't enough, right? I think, I think all of us have a sense of that. Um, even if you're here this morning and, and you're still investigating Christianity, you're not sure about all of this, you still have this itch that's kind of common to all of us, that we make our plans, that we try to lead our lives, that we, we happen to life and sometimes life happens to us, right? We, we have this sense that, um, that we have this freedom to make decisions and, and, and choose what actions we're going to take, um, we have this freedom, but also we have this un undeniable sense that there is this fate out there, outside of us acting upon us, right? So how do we live in this tension of, of freedom of fate and fate? How do, we, how do we live with this desire to be in control and also this sense that somehow we're captive to forces and events that are happening outside of us? Proverbs speaks a lot to this. We're going to look at several of them. Let's pray before we do. So pray, pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray that by Your Spirit You would speak to us this morning. Remind us that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but Your Word, it remains forever. We're all coming from all kinds of different places, but each and every one of us needs to see Jesus this morning. So would you allow us to do that? It's in His name we pray. Amen. If you want to live wisely in this tension, um, this tension between uh, fate and freedom, if you will, you need to do at least two things. You need to make good plans, and then you need to trust 
our good king. Make good plans and trust our good king. Let's start with make good plans, all right? Wise people make good plans. And I know as soon as I say that, I introduce division into the room. All right, some of you are like, this is the best Sunday ever, right? Like you love to make plans. Your life is on Google Calendar, right? You make spreadsheets for your vacations, right? Like rental car confirmation, hotels, Yelp-reviewed restaurants, you know, like you love to plan. And then there's some of you, some of us, that right, right, like we loathe planning, all right? Like it's just not what we like to do. We just like to kind of see what happens, right? Like um, you view vacations and planning as like mutually exclusive. What kind of monster would introduce spreadsheets into vacations, right? Like, um, so we, we come from different camps and we're going to see that Proverbs actually isn't trying uh, to give preference to certain temperaments or personalities, I think we'll find that Proverbs steps on all of our toes this morning. But it is clear that we're called to make plans. That's what wise people do, make good plans. Let's look at the nature of planning and what it looks like and then some reasons why we plan, all right? Uh, often when we're going through these verses from Proverbs, I wish I could be inside your, your head when you're like, what's he going to say about all this stuff? We've got ants. We've got maidens. What in the world's going on? All right, Proverbs 6, 6 through 9. All right, um, go to the ant, old sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Here's the poetry of Proverbs at work again for us. Remember, Proverbs could just say, hey, yo, make plans. But this is poetry. This wants to impress upon you this truth so that you remember it. And it says, hey, look at nature. Look at actually something we often take for granted. Look at the ant and see what she does. She is proactive in her planning. She realizes, hey, it's harvest time now. It's summertime now, but winter is coming. I'm going to take action now to be prepared for winter. And often Proverbs compares and contrasts. So ant versus sluggard. What's the sluggard do? It just lies there. It's inactive. It doesn't take action. All right, just sleeping. It's saying planning is thinking about the future, not just having your eyes on the present. Hey, in the present, sleep's great. Who doesn't love some sleep? All right, got a lot of young parents here. You love sleep. You remember what it was like. But um, if we just live in the moment, winter is going to come. And as great as sleep is now, you're going to wish you had prepared, made provisions. And so the nature of planting, planning is just looking to the future and preparing for the needs that will be there. Proverbs doesn't just teach us about the nature of it, but it also gives us some reasons. Okay, if this is what planning is, then why do we want to plant? The first reason it gives us is gratitude. Next proverb, Proverbs 27, 23 through 27 starts this way, know well the conditions of your flocks and give attention to your herds for riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. This is what the writer's doing, all right? The writer's just setting the idea of planting in the context of farming. And he's saying, um, look at what God has entrusted you with. He's given you herds. He's given you flocks. He's given you produce. If you plan and if you view these as gifts to be stewarded well, they will take care of your needs and the needs of others when the time comes. View what you have as a gift and you will plan to use it well. All right, I'm going to go out on a limb here. 
I don't think anyone walked in this morning and is going to be walking out to their flocks and herds. All right? We do have some big families, but listen, uh, all of us have been given gifts. Whether it's a car or an apartment or vacation days, relationships, our bodies, if we view them as gifts, then we're going to plan to use them well. You know, if you have a car, you're going to plan to get the oil changed so it doesn't break down and it can serve you and serve others. If you have a mind, students, you're going to plan to sharpen it by studying so that when test day comes, you can glorify God by how you do it on that test. Gratitude leads us to plan, to take care and steward well the things that God has given us. But it's not just gratitude, it's also love. Check out Proverbs 31.15. Some of you guys know Proverbs 31, Proverbs about the excellent woman. Guess what? She's going to get her very own sermon at the end of the summer. All right, so stay tuned for that um, little preview. But this morning we're just looking at how she plans. Notice how this excellent woman plans. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. You see that? All right. So here's how she plans. She gets up early. She makes a plan to get up early, takes care of meals, right? Then she hops on Zillow. All right. Like she's looking at real estate, checking it out. Then she's negotiating real estate deals and closing them. Not only is she doing that, but she's also Uh, about the work of planting a vineyard, right? Building, tilling the land, making trellises, planting a vineyard. Why does she do all that? Because she loves her family. She loves her employees. Uh, She wants to take care of their needs. Even future generations she is caring for by uh, acquiring her uh, real estate portfolio and the vineyard that will be there for years to come. All of this planning comes out of a heart of love. If you love people, you will plan. Um, Yes, there's a place in relationships for spontaneous acts of love, for, for impulse gifts. But in our friendships, in our marriages, in our brother and sister relationships, a lot of love looks like this. Everyday, ordinary commitment to planning. Communicating those plans, committing to those plans, Can I speak to some of our younger generation friends, high school students, young adults? Really, we all do this, but right? Um, There can be this tendency. I could give a whole sermon on planning and community, but um, I'm not. Uh, I'll just make one point. There can be a tendency among especially the younger of us to like hear about plans, even be invited to plans, but like not respond. Like you get the text like this is the plan and you're going to see who else responds and whether or not they're going to go before you commit to going. Or you're going to wait to see if just a a better plan comes along before you commit to going. A lot of us have a desire for community, but you're not going to build community until you initiate plans and commit to plans. That's what it means to build community. All right, we we make plans because we're grateful. We make plans because uh, we love others and we want to build those um, relationships. And still at this point, in the sermon, our planning people are like, this is great. I love this. You know, keep preaching, Rob. Um, So let me temper that a little bit. You know a reason that Proverbs never gives for making a plan? Uh, 
We are never called to make plans so that we can be in control of all things. Right? I wonder how many of us just love control. To be in control of all the circumstances and in control of all the people. Right? I wonder how many of us, sometimes we make plans not out of gratitude or out of love. Our plans are based on just trying to control all things. All right? You're not going to be able to control all things. That's very evident at this very moment, right? Um, we love it. Remember, we far prefer the sound of children than the absence of their sound in our services. All right? Um, so, um, you want some diagnostic questions to see what's at the heart of your planning? How do you feel or how do you react when your plans are thwarted? When your plans don't go the way that you wanted them to? Or um, how do you treat the people that get in the way of your plans? Or how do you just treat the people that happen to be around when your plans are interrupted? That might help you know what's underneath your planning, what's at the root of it. So we need to be careful because Proverbs not only calls us to make good plans, but it gives us instructions on how we hold those plans. Right Here's where that tension is. It says make good plans, but we also hold these plans by trusting our good King. So the thing about Proverbs and really the rest of the Bible is it, it makes it abundantly clear that your actions matter. You're held responsible for the way that you act and for what you do. You're called to lead your life, make wise decisions, and plan. And so you might think, oh, well, um, this is kind of the Doc Brown approach to life. Anybody remember who Doc Brown is? Some of us from a certain generation remember that Doc Brown was the scientist and back to the future. All right, that's, that's Doc Brown. All right, so you come to the end of the Back to the Future trilogy. It's a, kids, it's a movie about time travel. You can ask your parents about it. Uh, you get to the end of the, uh, the Back to the Future trilogy, and Doc Brown says this, summing up all three movies, your future is what you make it, so make it a good one. And I would venture to guess that most of the people in Fairfax, they probably believe that. Most of the people in America probably believe that. That's why it's a popular movie, because it resonates with something that we want to believe or that we believe that the future is what we make it, so we better make it a good one. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Right? The Bible says things like Proverbs 69, The heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. And intellectually, it's very challenging for us to hold these two truths, that we're responsible for our actions, that we make our decisions, and at the same time, there is a God who rules and reigns and controls all things. All right, it's hard for us to hold those things intellectually, but the Bible, Christianity, doesn't have any problem holding those things in tension, right? You can look at Genesis, a guy named Joseph, right? He's the son of Jacob. He makes decisions. And at the same time, things happen to him. He's sold into slavery. He's put into prison. And we see that in the midst of all of it, God was at work and in control. So the Bible doesn't have a problem holding these things in tension. And, and while it's hard and awkward to do that in our minds, I think in life and instinctively, we do realize this. 
right? The future is what we make it. Um, well, I think we all realize that the present now was your future in the past, right? You with me that the present now was your future in the past. So 10 years ago, you're presently where you are now. And 10 years ago, you were thinking, oh, in the future, I'll be in this place. Do you want to say that where you are now, you're there solely because of just what you did? Just your decisions. No interruptions from cancer. No job transfers. No terrible breakups or unexpectedly meeting the one. Things happening that were outside of your control. I don't think any of us would say like, oh, well, we're here in our present future because we're the ones who made it. Us and us alone. And at the same time, um, here's another way to think about it, especially for those of us who are advanced in years. All right? Think about when you were in your early 20s. You had a plan for life where it was going. How many times have you been like, oh, you know, when I was 21, I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with that person. And that would have been absolutely terrible if that happened. Or when I was 23, I thought this is what I was going to do with my life. And I'm so thankful that it went in a different direction because I both love what I'm doing right now and that would have been a disaster. Um, if you tried to hold to this notion that you and you alone are in charge of where your life goes, you're going to be toast. Because you don't know enough and you don't control enough to make that happen. And at the same time, if, if, if you think that life just happens to you and you have no agency and you're not responsible, you're going to be um, completely unmotivated, completely bored, and just at the whim of fate. And the Bible says this, no, you're responsible. You make decisions. You lead your life. And God who is in control uses all of that in a way that only He can. He uses the evil intentions of others. He uses all of your mess-ups. And He weaves that together to accomplish His plans. So how do we live? How do we make decisions in light of that? A couple more Proverbs we'll check out. How do you live in that tension? Proverbs 16.1. I want you to look at the very last uh portion of it there it says commit your work to the lord and your plans will be established commit your work to the lord and your plans will be established remember we've said proverbs hard candy of the bible right you have to let it linger you have to think about it it's not the reese's cup of the bible all right you can just wolf those down right one two twelve they go pretty quick all right this is hard candy Think about it, because when we give this, this verse, the, the Reese's Cup treatment, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, you probably think it means this, commit your plans to the Lord and then your deeds will succeed. You kind of want to read this verse. Most people read it and see, God bless what I want to do, bless my plans. So like we kind of treat God like he's the zoning board or the president of our HOA and we, we engage transactionally like, hey, I'm going to give you my plans, God. I just, I need you to stamp them and we're going to be good. This verse actually says the opposite of that. This verse says, commit your works. Commit what you do. Commit every decision of your life to, to, to God. Wholly and completely. And as you do that, you will become the kind of person that makes wise plans. 
Even that word commit there, it literally means to roll onto. And, and the picture is you're putting all of your hope, you're rolling, you're pushing all of your chips onto God. And you're saying, I'm going to make all my decisions about how I live my life in obedience to Him based on who He is and how He's called me to live. And again and again, when you do that, you are formed into the type of person that makes wise plans, that starts to plan in light of who He is and who you are and how He's designed the world. This verse isn't saying, hey, God, get God to just stamp on your plans. It's saying, no, actually commit, trust radically, completely God in all that you do. Um, this tension and this call to trust, again, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Again, this call to trust and all of your heart. This is not a check your brain at the door verse. All right? It's not like your own understanding is not important. It is important. Again, it's just saying don't roll all of your hopes onto your own understanding. Actually, roll it onto the Lord. Trust in Him. Because here's the problem with your own understanding. We've said it before. You are limited. You are finite. You do not see what you need to see. You do not know what you need to know. You do not control what you need to control to take care of your life. So trust the one who does see and who does know and who does control. And I realize when I say that he sees and knows and controls, that could introduce some questions for some of us. Right? Well, if God sees and knows and controls, then why in the world... Did my dad walk out on our family in the third grade? Right? If God sees and knows and controls, then why, why, why doesn't he just heal my loved one from dementia right now? Like, you're telling me to trust in our good king, Rob. How in the world can I trust that he is a good king? I want to finish by looking at one event in the life of Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, the Bible puts Him as the promised King, the one who came to rescue God's people. You think about His life, you really see from day one, uh, He was on a mission. He had a plan. You see from His public ministry, um, you think about the wedding at Cana. He's there. His mom's like, hey, they ran out of wine. Can you, can you do something about this? What does He say to His mom? My hour has not come. He's saying, hey, there's a plan. There's an hour. It's not here now. Mark records his first words uh, publicly in his ministry as being the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus had a plan. Even in the very kind of practicalities, remember his friend Lazarus is sick. He intentionally waits a couple days, allows him to die, and then goes so he could raise him from the dead. Jesus is ever and always on plan. But there's this one event that when I'm honest, it's both unnerving and encouraging. Matthew records it at the end of his gospel. Jesus has had the Last Supper. He's eaten his final meal with his friends. He's out in the garden. And then we read this in Matthew chapter 26. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What do we do with that? Here Jesus is in anguish. He is weeping. He knows what's on the horizon. The cross stands before Him. And He's wondering, and He's wishing, and He's asking God, hey, I know the plan, but can there be another plan? He's living in this tension of... uh, His actions and the actions of others and God's plan. And he's wondering, hey, is there another way? But let's see where he ends, where he lands. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, he commits himself to the good king. He commits himself wholly to the Father to say, okay, I will trust this plan I will trust your plan. You know how we can trust our good King? Because He gave His Son to live the life we should have lived, to make the decision to trust Him when we've tried to trust ourselves and trust in all kinds of lesser things. We can trust our good King because He gave His Son Christ for us. So when your plans are derailed or destroyed, when how you thought your life was going to go doesn't end up being that way i'm going to be honest you might never know this side of heaven why that happened why you didn't have as many kids as you thought you were going to have why your marriage didn't end the way you thought it was going to end you might not know this side of heaven why that is but you can be sure it's not because god decided he doesn't love you you're convinced of god's love for you and that he gave you his son you're convinced I'm convinced that God loves me because He put in place a plan before the foundation of the earth. Remember, we plan because we love. God planned because He loves us to send a Son and bring us salvation. Let me finish up with a couple of questions, a few questions for us, all right? Someone comes up to you this afternoon hanging out with you in your community group, they said, hey, can I see your plan for how you, just some of how you plan to grow spiritually? How would you respond to that? Because you know what? We're good for making all kinds of plans to get to practices and get to work and our projects, but sometimes we don't plan for what's most important. So if someone asks you, what's your plan to grow spiritually? What's your plan to build community? What's your plan to share of this good king that we've just talked about? How would you answer those questions? God calls us to make good plans, especially about those things that matter most. What's your plan to remember the ocean of grace that is in Jesus that we are so prone to forget? Fairfax family, my hope is that we spend the rest of the summer making these kinds of plans. If you don't even know where to start, like Rob, I hear what you're saying, but you know, It's not computing. I've never thought that way. Talk to me. Talk to our elders. Talk to your community group leader. We would love to walk you through about what it might look to plan for these kinds of things. My prayer is that we would be those that plan our ways, but we also pray the Lord would establish our steps. So pray with me. Father, we thank you. Um, We thank you for your word that that does give us some insight to these confusing realities of life. 
But sometimes we happen to life and sometimes life happens to us. It's not easy to hold these in our mind. We are finite, limited creatures. So we pray, would you give us wisdom? We rejoice uh, that your word promises that if those who lack wisdom ask for it, you are pleased to give it to them. So this morning, for me and for my friends, I pray for wisdom. Wisdom to make good plans, especially for the things that matter most. And also wisdom to hold those plans loosely. To hold those plans in a posture of trust. Knowing that you are a good king. You've given us Jesus. You won't withhold anything from us. If you've given us anything that we need, anything uh, that is required, you won't hold, withhold that from us because you've given us what we needed most in Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.